Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guests about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is the entrepreneur, philanthropist, ambassador for creative small businesses, general and general all-round lovely person, and one of the funnest jewellery wearers I know, Holly Tucker. As usual, I can't really think where to start with Holly. I probably first heard about her through her brilliant online store, Not On The High Street, which she co-founded in 2006. But we've worked together on several projects over the years, in fact, Holly interviewed me for her podcast a few years ago. Well, uh, I guess we'll put a, a link to that on the website. Um, it's an altogether better organised and much more professional affair than mine, I'm afraid. But it's a good listen. So check it out if you've got time. Um, and I've helped Holly with some of her excellent Instagram advice sessions. I've been lucky enough also to help with the judging on Holly's incredible independent awards, which are amazing. Check them out. It's a real and significant boost to independent businesses in the UK. Holly was awarded an MBE for her services to small business in 2013. She went on to set up Holly & Co, which is a beautifully created advice and inspiration hub for independent creative businesses. Definitely check it out if you don't already know it. Oh, and her brilliant book, Do What You Love, Love What You Do, is a must read for any budding creative entrepreneurs out there. I love the idea behind the book of turning passion into profit. Well, I've hardly touched the sides, but this is just a brief introduction and we'll put all the links on the website. But for now, I'd like to say a huge thank you and a big warm welcome to Holly Tucker on This Is A Token. introduction my goodness me I'm blushing well it's like I could just go on and on I mean your Wikipedia page and then there's all the charity work and and something I was particularly taken with I think we've got quite a lot in common is the way that you started not on the high street which was as far as I gathered came from the passion that you had from running those fairs in sort of Chiswick and, and around and a real sort of passion and enjoyment of sort of curating and showing amazing work people are doing so you're still doing exactly the same thing now but what I loved about those early days is it sounds a bit like me where you were really working late without any real backing having to sort of secure your own loans and to do everything and stay late and not get paid and all that kind of really hard work which you can only really do if you're absolutely mad a bit bonkers but also really passionate you know you, you do it for the love of it don't you rather than absolutely I mean it's why my book is called do what you love love what you do because ultimately you do need to be bonkers you're completely right and you need to be absolutely fixated, passionate, obsessed. And that is still what I am 20 years on. You know, if I had a mastermind subject, my husband always says, if you ever get asked onto mastermind, you are to refuse it, Holly, because my general knowledge is okay-ish. But, you know, nothing like my obsession with small businesses and what they produce. And so that would be my mastermind subject, because I think that that's the case. There's something very, very beautiful, I would say, in two two things and, and why my life is dedicated to this. One is building a business is exciting. And I think and why my podcast conversations of inspiration exist and why I interviewed yourself, because, you know, we all see brands that we mix with every single day. But it's only when you hear the beginning, the tale of the story. It's always David and Goliath. It's always about rag to riches. It's always about grit 
grit, determination, loyalty, like a mother lion, you know, protecting cubs. It's just an incredible thing. And, and I think that there's something amazing about listening to what it takes to build a business. And I think secondly, for myself, I've always believed that the future is small, whether it be trends, what you want to own, wear, buy, gift, really small businesses do something that no one else can do. They encapsulate craft, feelings, authenticity, story and creativity. And so those two sides of things, the story behind the founder, what it's taken to just turn up that day, plus what the output is, the pouring out of love and sort of their entire self. You know, when I look at your business, it's you. When you look at my business, it's me. I think it, there's something quite magical about the entire process. No, I, I, I so agree with what you're saying there, Holly. And I think I'm, it's slightly different because I, I do come across businesses that seem to have been set up by a group of investors who think, oh, yeah. you know, there's money to be made in this sector. And so yes. let's see how people are doing it. And we'll sort of do a version of that. Yeah, and, a gap in the market. And, and, and that, isn't, that isn't what we're talking about, is it? What no. we're talking about is I always bring it down to when I'm teaching or talking to people. It's, for me, it's like cooking a meal for my best friends. You have this sort of idea that you want to sort of create something and you do it yourself and then you share it with people that you respect and care about. And it's a human to human exchange. It's a very, very basic. I mean, it must be, you know, one of the most basic human needs, isn't it? You know, someone sort of whatever, in my case, strings a few beads on a piece of string and then gives it to someone they care about as a sort of memento or something and the seed the germination of the idea isn't isn't how can I make money you know isn't isn't sort of like a sort of corporate model I have a passion for something and then and then what you're saying is is you turn that passion into something that does bring profit because there's nothing wrong you know you we're skilled creative people and unless as you said groups of investors coming together gap in the market spreadsheet says yes we're going to do something better we're going to charge 10% less than the competitor who's flying and we're just going to create a business out of it I'm not interested in the slightest in any of that someone else can go and do that it's actually ruining the world but what I'm interested in is when I see people people's beings come to life in their businesses. And I think that one of the things that's been incredible, and I think nowadays we're getting far more used to this, and I think the pandemic like lots of things, sped up this notion. And why my book is called Do What You Love, Love What You Do is because we have 29,000 days on this planet. We want to be creatively fulfilled. I think we're all much more aware of our mental health. We're understanding that, funny enough, we can't keep up with technology and it's impossible to do it. We want to be able to work around our families. We want to have some sort of balance. Why I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in bringing your whole self. And why I think ultimately I'm not obsessed with business just for business sake. I'm obsessed with business being a tool for human beings to express themselves in a way that not only fulfills them, but also you have to make money. You, You have to earn a living. And I think money only comes into it, I suppose, when then you need to grow your business there's some absolute facts isn't there you need Mm. to employ people you need to pay people you need to get premises and also on the really low days as an entrepreneur you have to go tell me I'm in this for something I've had baked beans for the last two years uh we've still not gone on holiday (laughs) all these sorts of things just tell me that there's going to be some little golden pot at some point along this rainbow We've, we've all been there you know, and potentially there is. And that's what you get for working your behind off 24 hours a day. Remember, being your own boss is probably the worst boss you could ever be. And so I think that money comes into it at those moments in time. But ultimately, you know, never does a passionate entrepreneur who wants to change the world ever look at their paycheck. No, If they even have a paycheck. (laughs) You know what I mean? I remember thinking when I first started out, I didn't go into jewellery making because of the money. I went to art school because I loved 
loved art and then I loved making jewellery. So I started making jewellery and, and money was very much at the back of my mind. But I remember graduating. I did a four year degree. And by the time I left, I was really good at making jewellery and I had some lovely designs. I remember thinking, hang on a minute, if you'd sort of graduated as an accountant or a doctor or a solicitor or, you know, whatever it is, you'd be earning enough money yeah. to live. I was thinking, I'm as skilled as these people in my field. You know, when someone says, could you make something? And I say, yeah, it's going to be 200 quid or whatever. And they go, what? You know, and it's like, yeah, I'm a skilled person. Yes. I really felt that sense of another childlike sort of feeling of right and wrong. Like, yeah, I, de- I deserve as much as that guy who trained to be a, an accountant because I'm skilled at what I do. So, and sometimes I meet young creative people and they have an awful lot of doubt, almost as if being creative doesn't deserve, you know, as much money as someone who works in a bank. And I'm like, no, you deserve you do deserve it you're brilliant I I couldn't agree more and I think that this comes about all the time there's an entire chapter actually in my book where I've actually broken down sort of like the lowest salary and the highest salary and what you should be charging out for your time and that ultimately okay give yourself some wiggle room you might have another job that might be paying the wages or you might have had some savings be it one month three months or a year you might have some wiggle room and you should give your business that if you can Mm. but after that you have got to earn money and I think there's something that you can do to help rewire that but I think we're very British sometimes and very sort of like you know would you possibly pay this and as you said you know you're actually saying you know would you possibly pay this because I need to feed my children and put a roof over our head business is more powerful than government Um, an independent shop is a necessity for our communities on the high street so if we start almost putting our businesses at a higher level, so we are bringing creativity into the world, we are being human in a time when AI is um, on the rise, we are teaching our children about entrepreneurism, which is not what they're learning in the school. If we have a shop, we're supporting the independence of that community, we're creating what us humans require. And if we just businesses online that are small what we're doing is making sure that people can feel more human think about in the pandemic everyone turned to small businesses to show their love yes they turned to amazon's for something utilitarian but when they wanted to show their love they turned to small businesses we're vitally important and so actually paying yourself so that you can sustain your business isn't a nice to have it's an absolute necessity for you to make the world a better place yeah. and i think if we try to rewire this sort of thing of you know slightly wincing as we say the price and we more you know own it because actually the world needs us that can really help us sort of I don't know challenge this idea that small businesses or designers or crafters shouldn't charge the same as a banker and a doctor. Other people seem to have done it better. And and I think quite often, for example, you know, an artisan food maker, they they do it quite well because you can sort of understand that that if you spend ages making something, a a loaf of bread is going to cost more than a one in, you know, a mass produced one or something. But I kind of feel like small businesses could do with being up on the pecking order a bit more. And I I love the fact that, that government is sort of looking at farmers, not just as food producers, but custodians of the countryside. But I see local shops, everyone I've met who runs a, a lovely little local shop are trying to do some good in the world. They're trying to serve their community. They have a chat when the pensioner comes in and they, they're just there for their community. And it's such a, such an important, vital part of community and Britishness and everything generous and good. And I wonder sometimes that government thinks they're just a sort of tax cash cow, you know, because they do seem to be being hit left, right and centre. And I do think it's unfair that Amazon can whiz parcels out left, right and centre at half the price and they don't pay any tax. And and the poor person on the high street have all these different taxes that they need to pay and rent. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And that's something that, you know, I definitely want to try and help. You give up before you even start when it comes to all of this, don't you? But Mm. it is something 
something I feel that us entrepreneurs, those who've done it, maybe are on the high street, we should get together, put our heads together and um, go and tell them what we need and what needs to happen. I mm. think that that would be a great help. The nice thing is because I'm I'm not sort of a part of any system. I mean, I suppose I've, I've been around the block a few times and, you know, my business has grown. So in some ways, I'm a bit of the establishment, but I'm really happy to go into a round table with government and tell a minister that I think he's a bit of a dick because a lot of people don't do that because I think they they want to um you know oh, yeah, conform to yes. the system but I don't care about any of them no, or any of it I'm very similar to you I'm very similar <laughs> that's why I'm not invited in all that often <laughs> Holly so this is a, a podcast on zoom and I've been sent over some amazing photographs you always have brilliant jewelry one photograph I love it sort of shows your jewelry area even though it's featuring a piece I just want to kind of come in and have a dig around because <laughs> you obviously love jewellery and have lots of it, right? I and you do, have I agree. Ring. There's a brilliant ring stand. I'm not sure which one. It's two fingers. And I wasn't sure whether it's peace or, or the well, other Well, it depends way. which day it is, yes. <laughs> well, you've got it on peace. At the moment, it's it's on peace. It's it? on <laughs> peace. You know, my home is a shrine to small businesses. So, you know, any single surface really is merchandised, I suppose. She could just be photographed at any point in time for a magazine because it's my whole entire being. And when it comes to jewellery, I have been fanatical about jewellery, really ever since I could afford a piece of it. And that has now grown. Any milestone in my life is celebrated with a piece of jewellery. Any accomplishment by myself in business is celebrated with jewellery. And so my jewellery area, it has the correct dishes, the correct hands, which are for all my rings to go on to each finger. I have a, a jewellery system that was made up of curtain rails that I've created for my longer pieces and then smaller pieces. So it's super organised. And I will sit down in my diary along with all my meetings every once a month is my jewelry cleaning day and I'll sit down with my professional jewelry cleaner it's a really beautiful moment I just sit down quietly listen to a podcast and I just clean all my jewelry and I love it every time I'll just look at another piece and I'll smile but it's a very very important thing and I think why I love your business and what you do every piece of jewelry has a story you know it's just unbelievable it's nothing else like it so when my husband raises his eyes I mean it's just poor thing you know (laughs) well look I have to say to our lovely listener that you Holly are the jeweler's dream because we get pieces back for repairs for example and they're scrunched up in a box with several other necklaces all tied up in knots covered (gasps) in hair and you know you just you kind of lift them out going oh what this person doesn't care about their jewellery but you are a jeweler's dream you've got it all beautifully ordered and laid out and you obviously love the jewellery and you clean it which is like wow (laughs) (laughs) I must say on the pictures every piece of jewellery to me says Holly Tucker it's so great yeah it really does well we're going to get into it but um I just love these pieces is there any way you'd like to start or or should we just start at the top kind of thing well well, I I, I might like start just with my oldest piece I, I suppose something that really surprised me, which was my grandmother's bracelet. It's a charm bracelet with lots of seals. So these are old, old seals that men would have worn on a waistcoat with a chain. And it was a wax seal. So you would have poured a piece of wax on your envelope and you would have put your seal into the envelope. Now, this piece of jewellery for me, when I started wearing it, I realised slightly where I'd come from in terms of why I loved bold, out there type jewellery, because it actually goes back to 1900, when my grandmother, Lucien Oreo, she lived in Paris. She was from a very good family. The family was friends with Coco Chanel. She worked at Jaeger in the design team, and her husband worked at Harrods. And she had this exact bracelet with not as many wax seals but with wax seals hanging off it and that was 1900 is that actually the same change same same, wow. same so then that got passed on to my grandmother in early 1930s my great grandmother was called Lucian Oreo which I just love and my 
grandmother was called Denise and she actually was an incredibly creative person. In her early days, she used to actually model for Harrods. And these are the times, Alex, where you used to, it's not photography model, you used to walk around Harrods wearing something with a number pinned to you. And people would come up to the count and say, oh, I liked what she, number 23, was wearing. Um, And that was my grandmother. My grandmother was highly creative. So we're talking 1930s. She was designing her own Christmas trees. So she would have a Christmas tree full of paper flowers. On Christmas Day, she'd wear a caftan and have her hair all tied up. I mean, she was just... incredible. This is the most glamorous grand I think I've ever heard of. Oh my gosh, she was absolutely amazingly beautiful. And, you know, when I wear my caftans down the high street, and I'm literally making paper flowers for my wedding. I couldn't believe all these similarities. And I have in my dressing room a actual painting of her in her early 20s. It's an oil painting. She's got these bright red lips, gorgeous. And on her wrist is this bracelet. Every day I do my makeup, I look in my mirror and behind me, I see my grandmother in this oil painting and it's just amazing. So I wear it. It now has 10 wax seals because I've gone to Hatton Garden. I found them. My parents bought me one seal on my 40th and I just add to it, but it's a very chunky thing. You couldn't wear it on a podcast. It makes so much noise. But it's absolutely beautiful. So that's my first piece that is incredibly important to me. I love this piece. I mean, this is jewellery as it should be, as much as anything. So the gold is a beautiful colour. It's this lovely sort of antique gold on a sort of um, curved chain, quite a chunky chain. But it's all the colours I love. Each seal is set into a very ornate setting. And I guess you'd sort of hold on to the setting when you sort of pressed it into the wax yes. and you were sealing something. But the seals themselves are amazingly carved into various, I mean, I'm not 100% sure what all the stones are, but it looks like there's, there's amethyst and carnelian and maybe lapis and onyx and all, all sorts of beautiful stones so it's really colorful isn't it as well yeah, as anything. it's so colorful and it goes with absolutely everything as well I can be wearing a smart suit or something you know my suits are always adorned by a lot of jewelry and headwear and things but yeah. for me it's just incredibly special and and she was very special to me I feel like I've got a lot of her in me and so it's very important when I wear it I feel like I'm channeling her so I love this idea that you have a portrait and this goes back one two, three, so it's your mother, your grandmother and your great-grandmother. Does it give you a sort of strength to, to step out wearing that bracelet, knowing that you're, you're part of this yeah. line of incredibly strong, charismatic, creative women? Women, yeah, it does. Certainly my grandmother, you know, I have pictures of her, you know, in the 1930s when this wasn't done, wearing my grandfather's white shirt tied in a knot collar up, wearing denim jeans, rolled up, feet in the water with a cigarette. And all the other women were in dresses, tight dresses that were flowing out. There she was, you know, and as I said, you know, the picture of her in this caftan with this tree made of flowers, again, with her cigarette and her drink and her gin and tonic that she would always drink. You know, she was just unbelievably creative and probably didn't get to show it as much as she had wished she died when I was three and obviously they had the war to contend with Mm. but actually for me it's like wow if she had been around to see what myself and my sister my sister started not on the high street with me and I've been working with her for 16 years now if she could just see what my mother has created I think she she would have been so so happy I've got a feeling that that they're looking down going you know chip off the old block yeah (laughs) absolutely yes (laughs) Yes. their caftans up in the cloud somewhere how lovely how lovely that's a beautiful so the nice thing about that is this incredible history and it's a very traceable history but also that is a showstopper of a piece of jewelry and i think um for me i think it's just wonderful when jewelry not only looks great but it sounds great and it makes you feel right but also it has some real kind of significance because i think there's something different about jewelry because jewelry is a portable thing that you wear and you have against your skin it's not like a, you know people might inherit a chess set or a yes. cabinet or something but you're sort of away 
away from that, aren't you? It's that's something that's stored, and that is nice. But jewelry you wear against your skin, and it was worn against the skin of your ancestors. And all of the patina, it's got this lovely softness. It's been worn down by well hundreds of years. Oh my gosh! I mean, you know, the thing that terrifies me is is how important sometimes jewelry becomes, and then you get more worried about it, don't you? Because it's like oh my goodness, (laughs) I have to not think about that too much Hmm. because I love. I believe, you know, it's a sort of Pinterest quote now, but I do believe in wearing your best at all times. I do believe in having fun. So I wear all my jewellery all the time where a lot of other people might keep it to a good occasion. I'll layer four or five pieces all on top of each other, banging into each other. Sometimes I've sent my jewellery back to the jewellers and they're like, you know, your name is like, you've never given us back a piece to repair that's not battered. What do you do with it? And I'm like, I do everything in it. I wear it to bed. I wear it to sleep. I, but, you know, and they're like, oh, my goodness, because I said I don't want to ever be away from it. So, um, yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you. That's great. So we're going to have pictures of all these on the website. People check that one out. It's what you call a piece of jewellery. I, I I, I, just wish they had more pieces like that in the V&A or something, because it's mm. just it's just what jewellery is all about and what it's always been about. That's my favourite piece. I kind of want to hear it as well. The sound yeah. of have you got it? You can hear it right now. Oh. Can you hear it there? And that's what it sounds like when I'm walking. I do think there's something about jewellery and the sound it makes. I oh, love no. a bracelet. I love lots of bangles banging into each other. So people know that you're coming. Don't you think in um, in sort of Greek days, a woman would have put her bangles on and the bangles would have clanked down the streets in Athens and people would have thought, oh, here comes, yeah. a, here comes a, yeah. an interesting person. You know, yeah. I, mean, I think that's... I think the sound is always important with jewellery and the weight and the feel of it. Yeah, I totally agree. Not like my husband says, I'm like some sort of Swiss cow in the in the meadows, you know, with the big bells <laughs> underneath. I'm like, no, darling, not like that. I far prefer Alex Monroe's sight of a lovely woman in Athens walking down the street. Thanks for the Swiss cow analogy, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Okay, Holly, next piece then. Let's have a look. Well, next piece for me was a ring from Bulgari. The photo I've got, when I zoomed in, it was a little bit blurry, but I was intrigued by that because, will you describe it to us? Yes. So it's a ring and it has three sections to it. And what I loved about it is that firstly, the sections move. So there's three rows of diamonds and in the middle, almost at the front of the ring, there are four stones. These stones are a peridot. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. blue topaz, a pink tourmaline and a citrine. Mm -hmm. And they form a cross. But if you can imagine each one, you have the blue topaz on one ring, you have the pink and the green stones on the next ring, and then you have the citrine on the following ring, all bound together into one ring. But it sort of moves. It has, um, you can't really see it, but it actually just all moves. Oh, so it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fixed at the back with a little bit of movement. It's fixed at the back, but with a bit of movement. Now, this ring I actually bought in Paris because on the day I received my MBE, my then partner, now husband, we got married in lockdown after 18 years, surprised me at the end of the day. I went to Windsor Castle. I met the Queen. As he said, it was in 2013. My son was there. My husband and my sister were there. And at the end of the day, I had no idea, but he had booked a trip to Paris. Now, Harry was very little. So for us, it was still a big deal to get away. And we woke up the next day and I had promised myself that I would buy myself a piece of jewellery to commemorate this amazing occasion. And so what we did is we walked around Paris and it was in a time of the riots. So there were Mm. police absolutely everywhere. And I'd never been into a Bulgari shop before or anything that swish. Are you joking me? And um, I wanted to go there, but the police were surrounding it and I couldn't get in. Now, typical French police, and they're all so stern, aren't they? Brilliant looking in that uniform and all their guns. And I just explained to the gentleman that I needed to get to the 
jewelry shop. And in a typical Parisian way, they sort of created a tunnel for me to go through. It's almost like protect the lady. She's got good taste. She's in Paris. She's buying a ring. How Parisian. So, I'm, I'm buying my jewelry. I need to get through. I need to, I need to get to the jewelry shop. So this was Brilliant. a huge deal. This was my most precious piece that I bought myself. It has a cross to symbolize the MBE actual award that you get, which mm. is a cross. And I have worn this with absolute pride. It's had to be fixed quite a few times, as I said, because I do do the washing up with it. I love the fact that you just wear things, Holly. I just think that's brilliant wear it all the time and it's a very very special piece um that you know only the other day I was thinking I must make sure I give these when I pass to the appropriate people to and make sure that people know the story behind your jewelry well, you know? well um put put in your will a little I mean I, I think you've got a few years yet but check the podcast and we'll get the <laughs> uh, there I was thinking I was with a quill writing the story you're right I'll just add a link just add a so, link to the podcast there you go so listen Holly I was just intrigued I had a Flash through my mind. How were they in Bulgaria? I had, I had an image of this sort of pretty woman moment where, where you know you push through the policeman and then a, then a snooty sort of shop assistant. They did. They were snooty. They were snooty. Were they? Well, I wasn't wearing what they needed me to wear. I think it was freaking wow. freezing. We had way too much champagne on the train over. <laughs> Can you imagine? It was the day of the MBE. And so we walked through and I think we were wearing big, you know, green walking jackets and it was absolutely freezing. I think Frank told them, because he's very proud of me, bless him. I think he told the person, you know, she just met the Queen yesterday of England. And then suddenly, even though we looked like we were dog walking, champagne came out. Oh, madame. <laughs> madame. <laughs> I'm thinking they're going to go, madame has come into the wrong shop. Yes, they did think that to begin with. Because I don't... No, no. When I was a student and I was sort of writing a, my business plan and I and I wanted to go into all those shops on Bond Street, I'd turn up and they'd have a security man on the door and I couldn't get into some of them. And it was like, God, you know, you'd have to almost get dressed. I mean, oh, yes. there, there was a time in the sort of 80s where you had to get dressed and you had to sort of have the right carrier bag with you, you know, try yeah. and have a Chanel carrier bag so that you could get into the Joseph shop or something. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me nowadays, you know, it is the people who do not look like they have money who can then go and buy something are the are the best yeah absolutely yeah and also the good thing is that you know nowadays shops are having a tough time so they're glad to see anybody aren't they (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Leaving people out. Right. You're right. So, do you make a habit of Bulgari and uh, you know all those all those post shops? No, I don't. But I'm a. I love fashion. I love Mm -hmm. jewelry. I don't have you know other sort of things I would spend money on. So I will be known to have a Gucci bag with my H and M suits, and I will have uh, a Bulgari ring with my kaftan that I bought ten years ago. For me, it's all about that sort of mix. And certainly it's not about the names because now you're in it long enough, you sort of realise really, you know, it is the name that you're buying. So for me, it has to work as a piece. I'm not quite interested in really what the name is, but it could sometimes be a Bulgari. When I say could be, it's the only piece I have, right? You know, I'm not nipping into Bulgari at the same time as I nip into H&M. But this was a very, very special moment. You know, it's not often you get awarded an MBE. No. And um, I think the thing that struck me about the ring is is it's beautifully designed. I mean, it's quite quirky, isn't it? Because what I like is the stones aren't all the same shape so it looks yeah. it looks very handmade they're yeah. interesting shapes and colors and it just looks like a really nicely designed yeah. and well-made yeah. ring agree agree yeah that's a great one that is well very nice too the only thing i ever did was i think it was an anniversary probably paper anniversary for me and denise and I went into Tiffany and bought the only thing I could afford in those days was a pack of playing cards. So that was my only experience. And they looked at me like I shouldn't be in there. And when I said I wanted a pack of playing cards, they looked at me like, yeah, I knew you shouldn't have been in here. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> and I, as I counted out my pound, pound notes or coins, whatever it was. Um, yeah, so I'm not I'm not great at uh, those kind of uh, you know proper posh shops. I've never been very comfortable or good at them. But everyone's got their thing, don't they? I I love. Yeah. I've got some bicycles, and I hope you know the money I've spent on a bicycle. There you go. Just... <laughs> well, 
Well, anyway, beautiful ring, beautiful ring. A picture's going to go up on the website. Shall we move on and look at piece number three? Could you describe it for our listener? Yeah, it's a charm and it's cut into the shape of the Not on the High Street tag. And on one side, diamonds and sapphires have been embedded into one side to make the blue colour of Not on the High Street. And on the other side, it's gold. And it says not on the high street, as the tag does um, on the website. And this piece is very special. It's made by a friend and a jeweler called Anushka. Anushka and John actually started Links of London. And uh, Anushka has gone on to build Anushka Jewelry. This piece is special because she made it for me to mark another milestone moment for myself, which was the selling of Not on the High Street. You've got to remember 2006 is when I started Not on the High Street and it was myself and my business partner, Sophie. My sister was the third employee. I mean, you could call it a third employee. I don't know if you call it that when we none of us earn any money and we do everything. Um, and it is going to be 17 years old this year. It's helped 5,000 small businesses, employed over 10,000 people. In its time, it's pumped over a billion pounds in the economy. And I'm very, very proud of what Not in the High Street did. This is a in the era we started up where there was no social media just mm. after dial-up modems mm. people didn't want to put their credit card details into a computer we used to have catalogs and we were the first business to really shine a light on small businesses and make it something outside of craft bring to life what it meant to support a small business and the quality of the produce that you were buying fast forward you know we, I've been doing it a very very long time I I call it my second child my first is a real child called Harry and he's 17 <laughs> he's exactly the same age as not in the high street because he was three months old when I started well, yes of course street. and then my second business baby is not in the high street and my third is Holly and Co because I love them like I love my child you know there's something when you do build a business that helps people it becomes more than just a business it becomes your life and so I had this made February last year the business was sold it was a very unique time for myself as you can imagine Alex you know to depart and sort of say goodbye to your business baby as if it was going off to university it was now ready to you know bleed the apron strings and and go and do what it needs to do and Anushka made me this piece and I actually had one made for my business partner Sophie as well which she didn't know about and I, I sent that on to her just to mark a moment in our lives because it was very much an Erin Brockovich situation you know we gave up a lot of our lives you know I missed Harry's steps his first work we have been on such a journey that I wanted it to be put into a piece of jewellery that I could not only wear, tell the story to other people, but, you know, pass on at some stage as well. Mm. Do you know what? I mentioned Pretty Woman and you mentioned Aaron Brockovich and, and I've actually designed collections of jewellery based on jewellery that she's worn. And so I, I, kind of, I just think she's brilliant. I love that film, by the way. So Anushka is an old friend and she's just brilliant. And one of my favourite things about this is when you attach a necklace to a to a chain, you can do it several ways. You can have a jump ring, which is a ring of silver, or you can have a flat piece of silver that's sort of bent round, and then you can do something with it. And it's all the details. So it's yeah. the fact that the bail that connects yes. the tag to the chain is studded in stones. It just makes it a little bit more opulent and, and yeah. sumptuous and special. And I love the way that these different coloured blues and whites have been sort of sprinkled like a like a little field of crocuses or I don't know what you know it, it just looks it's beautiful it sparkles and it's it's interesting and it's handmade and yeah, what you that, mentioned about like you know the bail I know how do they do that that's really clever so, so all her pieces have that mechanism where you can mm. just literally open it mm. and so what I do is I will wear it on a necklace sometimes but then I'll wear it as an earring another time I have quite a few pieces of hers I'll always wear her necklaces as earrings she laughs when she sees me and I have her necklace necklaces in my ears but you know that's what I love about it being able to move your jewelry around that's a bit of fun isn't it yeah. being able to have it as your second earring yeah. um is yeah. a bit of fun but also on a special evening having it as your main piece of necklace so yeah. I think that's I love that when you can do things like that with jewelry and it's always one of the funnest jobs as a jeweler when you make something bespoke for someone because it's really good fun working on the design and and um 
And then there's that brilliant moment when they come in and you unveil it. And I guess you must have had that with this piece when you popped in to see Anushka. And and it's lovely, isn't it? The idea that you can have a sort of image and you can discuss, but it's all in your head. And then like as if by magic, there's an actual real sparkly thing there that's exactly what you imagined. Or quite often, it's a little bit more than you imagined. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. it's the funnest job you can have as a jeweler making pieces like this. So I imagine um, Anushka and co had fun making that for you. Um, It's a beautiful beautiful piece. I suppose Anushka and you had the same journey around the same sort of time of starting up a business and then selling it on. And um, because I'm at the point now in my career where I'm slightly terrified of either retirement or or doing something different. And I must have taken quite a bit of bravery or was it an easy decision for you to to part company? No, not easy. And and you've got to remember, though, for Anushka, she went from Lynx to Anushka. Mm. And I've gone from Nost in the High mm. Street to Holly and Co. So my life and her life have not really changed. I mean, they're completely changed. But, you know, my life is going to be dedicated to small businesses for the next 40 years. Mm. So I think a lovely way of looking at your businesses are chapters. You know, Not in the High Street was a big, big, juicy chapter with all the ups and downs and everything. But I've now turned the page onto a new chapter, which is five years building Holly and Co. Anushka did the same with Links in London and the vast amount of stores that they had and all that that would have entailed. But now she's almost closed that chapter. Now she only has a couple of stores. Um, and mostly online, allowing her to be far more creative than she was able to be in links in the end. So I think sometimes we should look at our businesses as chapters that potentially, you know, I don't know, you, you're not necessarily going to go and build motorbikes, but, you know, you probably would continue in your zone, your happy place. It can just be chapters, I believe. And I think otherwise we get too scared to be other versions of ourselves. It's a really interesting conundrum, isn't it, that everyone has to sort of juggle with. I suppose for some people, it's just kind of, if you if your business is your name and you just do what you do, there's no getting out of it. Yeah, there's no it. getting out of it. You know, you just slump at your at your design desk one day and, and they'll chuck me in the wheelie bin and that'll be that but but it's certainly been good fun I think I could do with some more chapters I think you know my books are rather a long a long chapter in the middle so but it's one of those things that if one is entrepreneurial it's, it's one of those things you have to juggle about isn't it it's, it's it's by no means easy but the starting up and the journey is more I suppose you could call it simpler you know there's a very simple direction but you never think about what's going to happen when you when you sort of get there and when the struggles are over yes and for entrepreneurs there's something in building you know there's something in the fighting against the system and building something and ripping up rule books and everything and then there's something very different necessarily if you want to expand into many 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 shops or you want to grow internationally or all those sorts of things but I I do believe though that there are chapters I was talking to Tati Devine and they were saying Mm. how they did their book I think it was after 20 years and so I said so what's the next 20 years going to be about obviously assuming exactly the same and they said oh we're going to try something completely different now why just because we did this first 20 years in this does Tati Devine only need to be Mm. in the jewelry space and I thought oh my goodness I've never heard anyone talk about it in that way I found that really refreshing yeah really interesting I like Harriet and Rosie they're they're just fantastic in fact I did um, a podcast with Rosie and she's just brilliant I like with you I could have chatted on for ages and I see we're nearly time's running short let's move on to the next piece here is a butler and wilson ring okay now this yeah. is yeah okay so when i put this on if i just put this on for you because we're on zoom you'll see how much those listeners this ring is it's something that if i was in a dark alleyway you wouldn't want me to be wearing it you'd be scared of it because it is absolutely ridiculously huge maybe in the witches maybe the chief witch would wear something like this how do we describe that ring i mean this ring well it's one and a half inches above my finger that's the what would you call that the 
setting is yeah. one and a half inches tall and it's one and a half inches wide. And it's basically Butler and Wilson, for those of you who know, is always incredibly flamboyant. And on my 40th birthday, I decided I wanted something absolutely out there. So I think I was only going into town for something completely mundane and boring. And I ended up, poor Frank again, saying, I'm just popping in to Butler and Wilson, which is one of my favourite places. And because it's an emporium, isn't it? It's just yeah. absolutely full of stuff. And this ring is holding a green, what would that be, Alex? Well, I, I don't know because it's so big. Because if it was something like a sapphire, I wouldn't probably be yeah. sitting here, hey? So I wonder if it's an agate or a dyed peridot or I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I can't tell. You know what? Yet. It was, it looks like it should be about one gazillion pounds. And I think it was 350 pounds. I think the thing with, with Butler and Wilson is you get an awful lot of bang for your bucks there because they're just like kapow, wow, and it's brilliant. You're not really investing in a in a stone, are you? You're buying a no, statement piece. It's not a at fantastic all. statement piece. As you said, I didn't even know what stone it was. So <laughs> it was brilliant. And what I loved is that on my 40th birthday, and that was the day actually I worked out if we have 29,000 days on this planet, I only had 14,000 days left, to which point I thought, right, well, then I need more rings like this to be wearing. And yes. I will quite casually wear this ring to number 10, you know, any any sort of serious meeting I'll have, because really, when we talk about business, this ring personifies the way I believe of women can dress as business women. And it's something I feel so incredibly passionate about is the way that we are depicted yeah. uh, maybe on TV uh, through the Dragon's Den or The Apprentice. And certainly those types of women wouldn't be wearing something like this. And I think yeah. it's a really important thing that we um, as business women have fun where I, I threw away the high heels five years ago as I left the main spot at Notton High Street and put on glitter trainers. And forevermore, I have worn glitter trainers and rings like this. And it really empowers you. People always start by saying this. I'm not one for writing into the radio, but um, I heard a program on, it was Evan Davis, his business program on Radio 4. And they'd done a study about how, how men in science bigged up the papers. They used lots of sort of positive words like brilliant and innovative and, you know, and women didn't. And so the men's papers got to the top of the pile and they got more promotion. And they were saying, in business, how can we make women be more like men? And I was so incensed. And I, I wrote in and said, I said, you should be asking how we could make men more like women, because women have so many strong talents at business. And often there's a little bit more self-doubt and a little bit more reserve and a little bit more consideration. And I feel like there's more listening and all these talents that you... And it drives me mad because we should be saying, how can we stop these sort of alpha male, yes. you know, blokes? And how can we make them more like women? And I hate this reversal that you sometimes see in business where, where women sometimes feel they need to be more like men. And it's like... No, we've got all this, this the wrong way around. I couldn't agree more. It's something that we need to address. And I do think that we're now starting to see a shift where we might be entering the era of female entrepreneurship because of all the qualities that women do have and how we are starting to look to that to empathy, to mm. et cetera, et cetera, to be something that we judge great leaders on. And so I really, really hope things will change. I think I was hearing a program on how during the pandemic they were saying, you know, what made a country deal with the pandemic well and what characteristics made a country deal with the pandemic badly and the uh, the scientists they were interviewing said well if your leader's a woman you did well if it's a man you did badly and really? I love that how yeah. interesting oh yeah. I'd love to know that article my goodness it was it was another me I, I tend to have like radio four and in the background so I keep hearing all these all these little snippets and then snippets. Have some, I'm, I'm like you you said at the beginning of the program about being the worst uh, sort of general knowledge and I mean you would never want me in a pub quiz because I, I know about my business because that's all I do and I make jewellery but any other sort of topic and I just hear little snippets or perhaps I've got like tiny little bits of half remembered things that are normally wrong so so yeah, basically I, I'll be on your team we'll be in the corner we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have our booby. half pint and our salt and vinegar crisps <laughs> we'll go for the movie prize brilliant brilliant so that ring you need a photograph of that ring um, you need to check, see to. that photograph on the website because that is a ring it is brilliant it's, it's Butler and Wilson at their best a great brand you know everyone should check out these I mean basically we've got 
Bulgari, we've got Anuska, we've got Butler and Wilson, and then a proper, authentic, vintage, historical piece of jewellery. So these are really interesting pieces of jewellery to look at. So do check out the photos on the website. Let's move on briefly before we close. And my final piece is one that you might know quite well, is your bee necklace. Oh, and I recognise him. You remember that? Yeah. And it, I bought that after recording your podcast on Conversations of Inspiration. I walked down to your beautiful jewellery shop. And of course, and this is the thing, this is the power of story. Um, So I have your, I don't know what it's called, but it was the really, I think it's the full gold one and Mm. it's the big bee. Mm. Because after hearing the story of the bee, how on earth as a magpie could I not have a bee around my neck? And for me also, it was two things. One was as I get older, nature is becoming more and more important to me. Certainly, I think a lot of listeners Listeners will say the same thing with the pandemic. Thank goodness for nature mm. seeing us through it. It was one of our healing mechanisms, I think, for society. And it was free of charge and was beautiful. So I, I wear this necklace because I am in touch with nature again. And it really reminds me. The craftsmanship, the the, the detail in it, everything. Um, but also for me, it, it really showed me about story. Because I think about you when I wear this. Oh, how sweet. Because I think about your story. And it really encapsulates everything I love about entrepreneurism, a small business, a beautiful, authentic brand, the power of a founder, how you can be nuts. I think we began this podcast by saying (laughs) we're we're slightly nuts and and infatuated with our subject. And there's nothing more than you can see of an example of someone being infatuated than this bee that I'm holding. And so I wear this because it shows you the power of a story that us humans really are but stories and potentially maybe would I have missed it before but because I heard the story that was it done hook line and sinker sold to the lady who wants to buy the entire jewelry shop downstairs in Alex Monroe <laughs> that is my fifth piece that is so lovely I feel like we you know everyone knows the bee but we'll put a photo of that bee on there because it's it's obviously it's my you know one of my favorite pieces and and, and I had a brilliant podcast with you um Holly and quite emotional too you've got me to think about things that were you know really Really quite challenging. I found it was like a little therapy session. So thank you for that. Oh, that's um, one of my favourites. Well, you do a great podcast. We'll, we'll put a link on the website to it all. I'm going to say thank you so much, Ollie, for being a guest. I knew you'd be a brilliant jewellery person. And I love the point about this um, podcast actually came around because people would write in with their pieces of jewellery and tell us the story behind them. So often, you know, the bee has a story that has a story from me, but it would be given to someone by perhaps a grandmother who then passed away way or and the story would then carry on with them yes. and it would be handed down to their children so I hope one day like your beautiful charm bracelet someone will be wearing the bee necklace and say I had a, a strong and powerful and inspirational mother or grandmother or whatever it is so it's all about stories isn't it and it's all about people to people and just kind of keeping it all sort of personal and real and human as opposed to letting the sort of corporate and the gray the, the gray take over yeah so and um, Holly thank Thank you. You've been so kind. Thank you for your time. I know oh, how busy you are. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for inviting me. I'm really honoured and lovely to see your face and to chat. As you said, I could be here for hours. Thank you so, so much. have. And I, I can't wait to be seeing all the, all the other things that you'll be doing, all these amazing works that you're doing and anything you need from me, just let me know. But thanks, Holly. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Holly. Lots of love. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com